Hey everyone, welcome back to another season of Data Driven Health Radio. I'm your host, Dave Korsunsky. On this show, we speak to the experts and break down the technology and the data that is allowing us to measure, optimize, and understand our health in ways that have never been possible before. This show is for the health hackers, the data nerds, the athletes, the execs, the high performers, and anyone looking to take their health and their game to the next level. Be sure to check out our website and our health analytics app at headsuphealth.com and feel free to shoot us an email, support at headsuphealth.com with any comments, questions, or feedback on this show or our app. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and let's get into our next episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to Data Driven Health Radio and today... My special guest is Dr. Casey Means. She is the co-founder and chief medical at Levels Health, which is an exciting up-and-coming company in the digital health space. Casey, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be here, David. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, we had just some banter before we got going here, and we're, we're definitely kindred spirits in our, in our passion for bringing technology to market that helps people better understand their health. And... What we'd love to do is, first of all, just get a little bit about your background. I know you just made a transition from working in a, in a medical clinical setting now to being a startup founder. So that's got to be an interesting transition. So we'd love to learn a little bit about your background. And then we want to talk about continuous glucose monitoring technology and why I believe, probably you do as well, it's, it's probably the most powerful thing that we can bring to market given the number of metabolic health disorders that are completely 100% preventable and treatable. So I think there's incredible promise. So we're going to talk about continuous glucose monitoring technology, and then we want to have you walk us through demystifying these numbers and how can this be used in an individual setting. And if I'm a practitioner on the other side, my clients are using CGM. So we got a lot to talk about here, but before we get into levels and continuous glucose monitoring and all the nerdy details, tell us about the co-founder. Yes, absolutely. We've got so much good stuff to talk about. So I'll give a brief intro about myself and my history and kind of what led me to co-founding levels and, and really shifting my career to be laser focused on reversing the epidemic trend of metabolic dysfunction. So it actually started way back, I would say, in college. I, I was at Stanford as an undergrad right after sort of the Human Genome Project wrapped up, and mm-hmm. 23andMe was coming online direct-to-consumer genetics. And it was like a really big wave of personalized genomics and direct-to-consumer testing. And so I was able to be in that sort of ecosystem as I was coming to healthcare. And so fundamentally, as I thought about biomedical sciences and healthcare, I was thinking about the body as this unique biochemical genetic blueprint and that really the difference between health or disease was how this genetic blueprint was expressed. And the main drivers in how that genetic blueprint is expressed is dietary and lifestyle factors, how you live, what you expose yourself to, what goes in your mouth. This is the molecular information that goes in the body and literally physically binds with the genome and tells it what to do. So that is the Probably one of the most succinct, elegant ex- explanations of epigenetics I've ever heard. That was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And epigenetics, it's so fascinating because we're, we're learning that even things like our thoughts yeah. can translate 
into biochemical reality through our hormones and through our nervous system. And that this actually changes the three-dimensional structure of our genes. And that is heritable. You can pass along the folding structure of the genes, not only what's in your genetic blueprint. So the fact that changing our thoughts, changing the way we perceive stress, the food and the molecular information we put in our mouths, the composition of our microbiome, how much sleep we get, exposure to to different traumas, low grade or high grade, all of these things actually change the expression of our genome. So it's exciting. We're learning a lot. And what I think is great about it is that it's actually like radically empowering because when you know this information, you realize that there are actually levers to change the outcome, right? And health is not deterministic. Certainly there can be predispositions for moving, you know, on the spectrum of health towards disease, but even with diseases that have sort of a a one-to-one relationship between a genetic mutation and a clinical outcome, you know, something like the Huntington's disease gene, like there's still this concept of penetrance, which is how much at a population people with that gene, not a hundred percent will necessarily develop a disease. And so there's always sort of that, that room for differential expression. And that's where I think it's just so interesting to think about how our exposures, particularly diet and lifestyle are the key knobs we can turn there. So, so that was sort of like came to medicine with that very empowering perspective of, you know, the, the biggest tools in our toolbox being diet and lifestyle and using those in a really evidence-based way to change the expression of health or disease. So then flash forward, I, I go to medical school and I was also at Stanford Medical School. And it's actually a very different ethos, very different vibe because conventional medicine and the way medicine is practiced today is actually much more about pattern recognition. And it's much more about labeling and reacting. And so you see a patient in the clinic and you're sitting there with them and you ask a lot of questions and then you do an exam and you do tests. And all of that comes together to become this collection of signs and symptoms, symptoms being objective, signs being objective. And when you can mix and match a bunch of symptoms and signs and they meet some sort of criteria, you label a diagnosis on it. And then you turn around into your toolbox and you say, okay, I'm going to prescribe this drug for this condition, this disease, or potentially going to do some sort of invasive intervention. And that's really it. That biochemical individuality is much less a part of things. And certainly the dietary and lifestyle factors are very minimally used as tools. And unfortunately in medical school, people are getting on average about you know four to eight hours of nutrition education in their entire medical school training, even though we know now that the vast majority of healthcare costs and the conditions that are bankrupting the human capital and the economic capital of our, of our nation and increasingly our globe are diseases rooted in dietary and lifestyle choices, chronic disease. 100% and so, agree. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of catch up to do in healthcare in terms of helping empower physicians with the knowledge base and the sort of the, the coaching abilities to be able to really use those levers to help people. But Went on to become a head and neck surgeon and ear, nose, and throat surgery. And in my practice, I practiced for about five years. And during that time, it was, it kind of floored me after a while as I realized that most all of the conditions I was treating as an ear, nose, and throat doctor were inflammatory in nature. So sinusitis, for instance, is inflammation of the sinuses. When that tissue in the nose gets inflamed, it blocks the hole of the sinuses and you get pus buildup and you get sinusitis. The same thing happens in the ear. If the drainage tube between the ear and the nose, the eustachian tube, if that's inflamed, you get pus buildup in the middle ear and that's an ear infection. And then you if you use your vocal cords too much, you know, you're singing a bunch or whatever, you can get these inflammatory masses of the vocal cords called vocal cord granulomas. They're inflammatory masses. And so I'm here and I'm 
treating all of these inflammatory conditions with surgery, which started to make not a lot of sense to me because inflammation is not a surgical disease. Inflammation is a complex physiologic process of the body responding to a perceived threat. And surgery is essentially plumbing. You're busting a hole in something and allowing drainage, but that's actually doing nothing to fundamentally change the underlying physiology that's leading into disease. So what I was seeing was a lot of patients coming back for revision surgeries, a lot of people coming back with recurrent symptoms. And really made me step back about four years into my career and say, why are all these patients inflamed? Why is everyone's body, you know, poor body is saying like, you know, white flag, inflammation, what is the threat? And what that really led me on was a journey towards trying to understand like, what are the big triggers of inflammation in our population? And and it really, again, comes down to these unnatural dietary and lifestyle exposures that our bodies are experiencing that we, we haven't really had to deal with throughout human evolution. So things like ultra-processed foods, genetically modified foods, ultra-processed sugar in quantities that our bodies never were meant to to witness. You know, we're eating 150 pounds on average of refined sugar per year per person when 100 years ago, that was probably around like two pounds. And so, you know, environmental toxins, sedentary behavior, chronic low-grade stress from all our digital tools, all the beeping and the honking and the emails, you know, this is all registering as our body is chronic stress. And then of course, sort of sleep deprivation where we're not getting as quality and- That's the cherry on top of it all. Is yeah. like, we'll just throw some sleep deprivation in there for good measure. <laughs> just throw some sleep in there, yeah. you know, and then, and then our microbiomes, which, you know, control these. Yeah, they're, they're trashed because we're using tons of antibiotics. We've got pesticides on our foods and we're eating very little fiber in our diet. So basically sleep, stress, diet, sedentary behavior, microbiome factors, these are all telling our body threat mode, inflammation. And it became really imperative to me. I'm thinking, you know, if I'm going to really try and help people fundamentally reclaim their health, it's not going to be by punching a hole in their sinus or their eardrum, which can be a helpful adjunct and it can be a temporizing measure, but it's not fundamentally getting them Absolutely. Yeah. So that really led me to shift gears. I, I transitioned my practice to functional medicine to a really longevity and metabolic optimization practice and got really very much involved in the network and systems biology community, which is traditionally we think of diseases as isolated silos. So we think about like depression as this isolated silo and then, you know, prostatic hypertrophy and hypertension and obesity and cancer. Like they're all these separate things and we're going to turn around and treat them all separately. Right. But with network and system biology, by using big data and proteomics and looking at the underlying molecular mechanisms that actually link disease. So thinking of diseases as a web, what are the connections molecularly between diseases? Now you stop thinking about things as silos and you think about what's the connection. And I think the future of medicine is treating the connections between the diseases because it's so much more efficient. That is going to be a pathway that's going to have pleiotropic multifarious effects as opposed to just like giving a Flomax for someone with prostate issues, which is going to help no other system in the body. So what if you can really get at that root? And the thing that connects most of the chronic diseases we're seeing these days is metabolic dysfunction, is metabolic issues. And so that to me seems like the lowest hanging actionable condition that we should be really thinking about changing to have the highest impact on our population as a whole in feeling better and be able to live their best lives. So that's kind of my journey. That's incredible. For those who have been listening to this show for a while, they've probably heard me say that on more than one occasion, I believe that if you could start giving people real-time feedback on their blood sugar, you would 
rapidly eradicate these metabolic disorders because most people are not receiving the education in school or, or anywhere for that matter in terms of the connection between the food that they put into their mouth and how that affects their blood sugar. You don't necessarily feel it until you go to the doctor and you have a diagnosis. So if you could just simply look at your phone or look at your watch and be getting this real-time feedback, everyone is now comfortable with the notion of sensor feedback on their body. Anybody who's worn a Fitbit or done any type of health tracking knows you can get this feedback from your body. But for lots of different reasons, the access to continuous glucose monitoring has been prescription only in this country. And it's relatively easy for someone to check their blood sugar with a glucometer in the morning. But that's not going to give you the real-time feedback that you need. And if people could see, wow, I, I just went for lunch and had this particular thing and my, my blood sugar is 240 or whatever, it's not that hard to then start making those course corrections. But that has not been accessible technology to everybody. And I think, and I've said it before, that is the one thing that could come to market that could have the largest lever on the health of the population is course correcting the blood sugar disorders to start with. We've done a lot of work with people on ketogenic diets, and those are just everyday people who are starting to learn how to control their own blood sugar. And they're learning how to control it to the point where the body shifts fuel sources. And so there's all these people figuring it out for themselves, but we've still never really had a direct-to-consumer technology for real-time blood sugar monitoring. So that's why I was so excited about what you guys are bringing to market. So maybe you could tell us how you you got connected to Levels. Was it idea you hatched? Did you link up with a co-founder who already had this idea? Like, What was that transition point from the medical functional backgrounds to the startup? And then maybe we can segue into the technology itself. Definitely. Man, you brought up so many great, great points there in what you just said. And yeah, can't wait to dig into to more of that. And so in terms of my journey to levels, so I was practicing functional medicine and I really just created the ideal practice that I wanted to start. You know, I just, I threw away the entire rule book and said, I'm just going to start the practice that gets people healthy and it's going to look like kind of whatever I want it to look like. So what that looked like for me was spending two hours with every patient for the first visit, having a giant whiteboard in my office where we mapped out the links between all the different symptoms and the different diagnoses they've been given and really talked about root cause physiology that may Mm -hmm. be underlying a lot of their different sort of seemingly disparate symptoms. So it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of education. You know, I spent a lot of time writing up really detailed sort of educational reports for people to explain the true physiology and, and not dumb it down. Like we were talking about mitochondrial dysfunction and oxidative stress and chronic inflammation and you know neutrogenomics and how foods were going to change the expression of their inflammatory genes. And, and people really, when they understand it and they can wrap, really wrap their heads around that, I think it makes it a lot easier to change behavior. Totally. Um, if you know so, why, if you know the underlying goal of what you're trying to do and you can explain it to someone, they just internalize it so much better. Yeah. Exactly. There's that great like Nietzsche quote that I think ultimately was then repurposed by Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, who wrote something like, for a man who knows his why, he can bear almost any how. 
And I really love that saying because I think sometimes we're just so busy in life doing sort of like going through the motions of the how of life. It's hard to sometimes step back from all of the noise and really think about the why. And I think we have to do that in health. We really do. And someone who wrote a lot about this in his recent book, Dean Ornish, he wrote Undo It about reversing heart disease through the Ornish program, which is stress management, diet, exercise, and human connection. It's a four-pillar process, and you need all four to reverse cardiovascular disease. But the human connection... The last one there is probably the one a lot of people underappreciate. Absolutely. And it was key. It was absolutely key. People connecting with others, tapping into love in their lives, not just with other humans, but love in terms of things that they cared about and really tapping into their why. And so... So I I found in my practice that that upfront investment of a lot of time with the patient, a lot of education led to radically quicker outcomes. And so, you know, in two to three months, people, their symptoms, they may have came in in 45 symptoms and have two after a few months because of that upfront investment. So that was really wonderful. But what I started to realize was I was seeing a lot of the same things like over and over again. A lot of the conditions that we're seeing these days as we've talked about, are linked by common underlying pathways, metabolic dysfunction being one of them. And you know what I don't think is widely appreciated now, but I think is the most imperative thing that needs to be appreciated in medicine right now is that blood sugar dysregulation, which we see overtly manifesting in our obesity epidemic and our diabetes epidemic, 74% of Americans overweight or obese, 128 million Americans pre-diabetic or diabetic. These are not small numbers. And a recent study out of UNC showing that 88% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. So this- That's it? 88? 80, I know, right. <laughs> 88 and, and moving up, but not, not if we can help it. Well, that also speaks to why we're suffering, potentially suffering so bad from coronavirus, because there's so much metabolic dysfunction. That's a whole separate topic. But anyhow, 88% is a staggering number. It's huge. And, and the COVID thing is is such an important thing. I actually- in April, I published a paper in the journal Metabolism talking about how you know, it was abysmal, the fact that we weren't having a massive public health campaign against metabolic dysfunction because it was already emerging in April in over 100 papers published that obesity and diabetes and blood sugar were the key drivers of COVID mortality. And, and yet there was no concerted centralized effort to reverse metabolic dysfunction at scale which I think would have been one of the highest value interventions we could have done early on. And if you look at the work coming out of Verda Health and Sarah Hallberg's work, and this is a program, Verda, which is for diabetes reversal, and they've published peer-reviewed studies showing that in 10 weeks of just a coaching and ketogenic diet, people can get from a diabetic hemoglobin A1C to a non-diabetic hemoglobin A1C. So 10 weeks of a program that only involves diet and coaching. It doesn't even involve exercise or anything like that was able to get people down to a statistically significant reduction in A1C to non-diabetic levels in a really large population of that study. And I was just kind of trying to make the point in this paper that people are at home with their devices. If we could just roll out something really big to help people reverse metabolic dysfunction during this time when they're already locked in their homes and have extra time to cook, this would be so high ROI for COVID. But we're starting to see a little bit more of that coming out now a few months later. Bill Frist, former um, Senate Majority Leader, just put out an awesome article last week in CNN that was, I think the title was like, the US food system is killing Americans, which was basically about how until our policy changes around food and healthcare, the way we're funding 
a lot of the more high-level policy things, until those change, we're not going to see the type of reversal of these metabolic diseases that we need to be able to be resilient in the face of this pandemic, but any future pandemic. COVID's not the first virus that has discriminated against people with metabolic dysfunction. Even the common flu has a yep. much high mortality rate in people with underlying diabetes and obesity. So this is something we, we have to solve. But I also don't think people realize that aside from impairing immunity through a lot of well understood molecular mechanisms, high blood sugar is a direct driver of obviously diabetes and obesity, but also Alzheimer's dementia, which is now being called, you know, type three diabetes. I've heard that before. Yep. And, and presumably why that responds well to a ketogenic diet, because the brain now can start to use an, an alternate fuel source. But yeah, these neurodegenerative disorders as well. Right. And the brain is such a glucose user that when insulin resistance starts emerging in the brain and the brain is just more cells. So all those cells can become insulin resistance too. So as the brain becomes insulin resistant, it really has a huge impact on the brain's ability to use energy effectively. So you can imagine how that would feed into neurodegeneration and high blood sugar. There's at least six proposed mechanisms of why hyperglycemia affects neurodegeneration, one of which is insulin resistance in the brain, but it also seems to have a direct impact on neuroplasticity and it's a driver of inflammation. Inflammation sense. in the brain can yeah. cause problems. So cardiovascular disease and heart attack, significantly higher rates with underlying metabolic disease, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which we're seeing Huge. now in children. Yeah. We're seeing chronic kidney disease, preventable blindness, infertility. The leading cause of infertility in the US is polycystic ovarian syndrome, peripheral vascular disease, which leads to amputations. That's also a result of chronic end-stage diabetes. There's just even things like gout and acne and sort of like even lower level things. And then the mental health stuff is huge. Depression and anxiety are twice as high in people with metabolic dysfunction. Absolutely, yep. Even, so, so even circadian disruption, sleep yes. cycle disruption. I mean, there's it's driven by the food system. It's driven by companies that, unfortunately, they are for-profit corporations and they are not incentivized financially on rates of metabolic disease. That's a, that's a whole separate policy level thing. So you're seeing this in your practice day to yeah. day. So then like, what was the switching point where you're like, we're going to do this. We're going to bring yeah. a medical device to market to tackle this. Like when did that moment happen? It happened when I realized I was spending the majority of my week talking to people about this. And about I blood also- sugar disorders about blood sugar and about diet and lifestyle. And then I realized that ultimately what I wanted as a doctor to do was because, so blood sugar is a result, as we've talked about, of not only food, but also sleep, stress, and movement. Those are the four key things, sleep, stress, movement, and food. And so really for me to be effective and getting them to move the needle in their behavior, it wasn't just about me telling them what to do and educating them, but I actually wanted to be on their shoulder 24 hours a day. Every time they decided what to eat for breakfast, how to respond to a stressful email, when to decide to get ready for bed, whether to jump on the Peloton or not. Like I wanted to be there for those thousands of micro decisions to like help move in the right direction, but you can't. Like a physician and a human is fundamentally unscalable. And so when I realized that for this to be effective for more people, it had to be scalable, I really started shifting my focus to these concepts are understood, I get them. And when people do them, they get way better. So then how do we actually scale metabolic improvements? And that's what really led me to think about more complex behavior change models. And it came down to 
how do you get people to change their behavior? Well, people have to close the loop between their actions and then what's actually happening. And nutrition is this notoriously open loop system where you eat multiple meals a day, you eat tons of different ingredients a day, and you don't have any really like direct one-to-one relationship between what's happening. You might the next day weigh a little bit more. You might later in the afternoon feel a little bit fatigued or have a post-meal slump. You might six months from then have a fasting glucose that was five points higher than the year before. But it is very difficult to really take ownership over this food caused a problem for me. And so became really focused on to change this behavior at scale. We need to close the loop between what people are eating and doing, and what is the immediate reaction. And that is where continuous glucose monitoring technology just became a really obvious choice as a wearable tool to do this exact thing for people. And we have it for almost every other lifestyle choice. For sleep, we've got amazing tools out there. We've got Whoop, we've got Aura, we've got Fitbit, we've got 8Sleep, you know, the mattress that measures all your biometrics. It's amazing. And with stress management, you've got all these HRV trackers, you've got leaf therapeutics, you've got heart math, you've got whoop, you've got exercise trackers galore out there. We have nothing to close. Go figure. You know, the the largest driver of these health conditions, the closest we've been able to get is for the average Joe is to go buy a glucometer. And I've tested my blood sugar in the morning for years. and, And I've gotten to the point where I can test my fasting blood sugar in the morning and it gives me a pretty good report card of, of the day before. And yeah. that was moderately helpful. Mm-hmm. But I've always wanted the ability to see 24-7 feedback. And I've, I've, I've long surmised this would be incredibly powerful for behavior change. So there's probably people listening who don't know what continuous glucose monitoring is. They may have heard the acronym CGM before. But why don't we start there? And then we can go into more information on on the technology and how to use it. Absolutely. Yeah. So a continuous glucose monitor is just this tiny wearable sensor that you essentially stick on the back of your arm and it measures your glucose 24 hours a day and sends that information to your smartphone. So diving a little bit more into that, you can imagine like a quarter-sized device on the back of your arm that has this tiny little hair-like four-millimeter filament that goes under the skin, just straight in. And that has an enzyme glucose oxidase on it that basically measures the glucose in between cells called your interstitial fluid. And it's taking an automatic reading every 15 minutes, no matter what you do. You don't have to trigger that. It's just doing it. And then it transmits all that data to your phone this is it right now, it is an FDA approved device for type one and type two diabetes management and has been a total game changer for these populations who formerly were having to prick their finger with a needle multiple times a day to get four data points maybe. So you can sort of graph those, but it's not giving you full granularity into the up and down swings throughout the day. And what's critical that we know now is that those up and down swings throughout the day, which we call glycemic variability, Those, aside from your morning glucose or your average glucose, those swings are actually independent predictors of problems related to metabolic dysfunction. So people with higher glycemic variability are more likely to have anxiety or fatigue during the day. They're more likely to generate insulin resistance down the road and develop worse metabolic disease because every time you spike that glucose, you're spiking your insulin in your body. When your glucose spikes, your pancreas release 
insulin to help you take up that glucose. And as you constantly spike that insulin, that has to interact with your cells. And over time, the cells are like, oh my God, there's so much insulin in the bloodstream. Like we are going to kind of become numb to this. And that process is called insulin resistance. And you can imagine as the cells stop responding to insulin well, then they're not able to take the sugar up from the blood as efficiently. And so now you start having blood sugar rise over time in the blood. And that's when fasting glucose starts rising. And over time, fasting glucose rises enough that you end up in the pre-diabetic range or the diabetic range. And so as you minimize these spikes throughout the day, you minimize your exposure to insulin throughout the day, and you can move in, in the good direction on the spectrum of metabolic health. And so with finger pricks, you are losing a lot of that granularity. Well, it's almost impossible to see the spikes. I mean, you might get a one and a two hour postprandial if you're lucky out of a, a client or a patient yeah. on a given day, but seeing it right from morning till night as different lifestyle choices. Now you as the clinician can see those spikes and you can look at someone's glucose variability and you can start to help them bring that down under control on a 24 hour basis. And that's, I think, where this can have incredible impact is possibly for the first time ever, a clinician has full insight into those spikes or an individual themselves has insights into those. And and they can start to make these corrective actions and keep the variability down. And then it leads to all types of improvements, whether it's just disease reversal, weight loss, health optimization. So providing that continuous feed is incredible. And I think that's the promise here. Absolutely. Like, I think you just touch on the weight loss thing. And I think that's, that's huge because the insulin piece really plays into that. Essentially, insulin, this hormone that causes glucose to be taken up into the cells, has a second function, which is to block cells from burning fat. Because it's essentially a signal to the body that we have tons of energy from glucose from sugar essentially. So we don't need to use this other source of energy, fat. So we're just going to like stop the burning of that because we've got to use all this glucose that's in the bloodstream. And so you can imagine in our culture where we've been told you need to eat six times a day to rev up the metabolism and our food pyramid, which for years said, you know, we need to have six to 11 servings of carbohydrates per day. Carbohydrates, you know, convert into sugar, glucose in the blood. So all of a sudden we had this population who was essentially being told that we should be spiking our insulin all the time throughout the day. So you can really see how that would lead into an obesity epidemic because we are not able to burn fat at scale. And that's a hormonal issue. That's not a calorie issue. The concept of calorie in, calorie out is just a very flawed model that we're learning now. And most weight loss studies that are published, even if they do have some beneficial outcome in the short-term study, almost all weight loss studies at two years end up being failures. If you like go back and look at those populations, because we're not approaching this with sort of a rational physiologic approach of looking at insulin and that the fact that you cannot burn fat without having a low insulin state. So there's this really cool opportunity for weight loss with continuous glucose monitors to essentially teach people very rapidly what foods are causing glucose spikes and either they can eliminate those if they want to, but they don't even necessarily have to eliminate the food. They can modulate the way they're eating the food. Yeah, just change the portion size. You can still enjoy it, perhaps. Maybe try cutting the portion size in half and notice the change and modify from there. Portion size for sure, but then there's so many other factors as well that we kind of talk about, you know, the metabolic toolbox. If you look at the research of the different ways that you can modulate a glucose spike, so 
one thing you can try is food sequencing. You can actually eat your carbs last during a meal. If you precede your carbs with protein, fat, or fiber, you're going to have less of a glucose spike. That's a clinical pearl right there. That case you just dropped for those who are listening. That's an awesome one. (laughs) Apple cider vinegar, cinnamon, those are both insulin sensitizers. Berberine is an insulin sensitizer. Well, MCT oil would fall into the category of preloading with fat. So preloading carbs with fat, blunt spikes, but also things like deep yogic breathing after a meal may actually improve glucose function because you're kind of toning down your sympathetic nervous system, your heart rate, you're getting your body into the sort of more rest and You're telling your body by deep breathing that you're not in threat. And so your liver, which stores your glucose says, okay, we're not in threat. We don't need to dump out glucose to help this person fight a threat. So it keeps the glucose in the liver. And so that, you know, intermittent fasting is a great lever you can pull. There's just so more muscle mass on your body, more muscle mass, higher metabolic, you know, building a a sort of better metabolic. And then also even just walking after meals. So there have been actual research studies showing that if you just walk for 20 minutes after each of your meals, 20 minutes before each of your meals, or if you walk for two minutes every half hour for the entire waking day, you can greatly decrease your 24-hour glucose compared to someone who doesn't do any of those things. So, so it's really about not restricting foods, but building this like awesome metabolic context of the foods to lower idea. your exposure. Well, and now people can see it. People can see the numbers, the glucose numbers themselves, and work on a on a protocol for their own day that works. And say, okay, I just ate a, a meal that's higher in carbohydrate. I've seen my glucose go up. I'm going for a 20 minute walk, or they're they're doing these other interventions. So, what the levels device is doing is is giving you the individual this real time feedback and helping you basically learn how to self regulate your own okay. blood sugar. So you get the device. Now, I ordered one from you guys, and the process was very smooth. I'll try to articulate it here, but maybe you can correct me if I make any mistakes. But the problem with these, these incredible devices, CGMs, they've historically been reserved for diabetics, type 1 and type 2 diabetics, and, and you can't get one necessarily with, without a prescription, at least not here in the United States. And so for the people that are wanting to work on health, longevity, weight loss, all of these other use cases you have not had access to this amazing thing. So if I'm a customer, I can go to Levels Health and you can facilitate the process of getting a continuous glucose monitor for me. My understanding is there's a consult with a doctor in your state, a telemedicine consult, and then you can get access to one of these devices and install it and start using it and start doing the the real-time monitoring. So that's my rudimentary understanding of the process. But If I'm listening to this and I want to go for it, what do I do? You got it exactly right. So it's sort of a three-part process when you work with Levels. And so you you come to our company and you join levelshealth.com. Levelshealth.com. And right now we're in a we're in a beta phase. So we're we're very early and we have a wait list that you can join. And you know, we're slowly getting people in and uh, we're planning for a full full launch later this year. But what you're going to get when you join is essentially access to this 28-day metabolic awareness program. And what that involves is first, a physician consultation through telemedicine to be evaluated for whether it's safe for you to have a continuous glucose monitor. Mm -hmm. So you'll essentially fill out a form online and a physician in your state who's in our partner physician network will review that, look at all your information. And if it's 
if it's safe for you to have one, then that will then be fulfilled by our our partner pharmacy and shipped directly to your house. And what you'll get in the mail is a very snazzy levels box with two prescription only Abbott Freestyle Libre 14 day sensors. So those two sensors add up to a 28 day program. You wear each sensor continuously for 14 days stuck to your arm. It's on the back of the arm on the tricep for those who are not familiar with it. Yes, Casey's showing one here. So you, you don't even really notice it. It's the size of like, I don't know, like a quarter or something yeah. like that. And it sticks on the back of your arm. Non-invasive, super easy to install. It's very um, non-disruptive to put it on. Non-disruptive. And in fact, it becomes, I mean, for for us, I've been wearing one for about a year now and totally feels sort of like empty without it. Like I love having it there. It feels like a superpower to me at this point love because that. there's there's no mystery, right? Like I... Uh, if I am feeling anxious or I'm feeling particularly tired, it's no longer, huh, I wonder what's up. It's like That's I so can't... cool. Yeah, you just check. You're like, oh, I'm a little low. I'm a little hypoglycemic right now. Or right. I'm too or high. Like, and you have that feedback loop. Exactly. And so it just takes away a lot of that pain point mystery of life of not being able to like to close that loop. And actually, so not to get too off track, but there's there's this really cool concept in behavioral psychology called interoception, which is essentially kind of another term for somatic awareness. So in understanding a sense of what's going on inside your body, what the internal milieu of your body is, interoception. Mm -hmm. And there are different clinically utilized interoception techniques to help people essentially gain a better sense of somatic awareness. And the big one that you focus on is like heart rate. So people who can sit quietly and actually feel their heart rate very accurately tend to do better on all sorts of scales of health, mental health, anxiety. Just that connection, that physiological mind-body connection. Exactly. Like hearing what your body is trying to say. Cool. And They've actually done really interesting study in asthmatic patients as well, and also patients with GI disorders, because those are also things you can kind of sense. And people who have a really good sense of what's happening in their GI tract, or even asthmatics who can accurately predict the, the true airway resistance in their airways, you know, they can measure this in studies and then ask people, like, how tight do you think your airways are right now? And people who can predict that well actually do better with their asthma outcomes. So it makes a lot of sense. Like, Functional medicine doctors like to say that symptoms are a signal from the body of what's going on inside, and you have to listen to them. They are telling you the answers. And with our busy lives and our busy digital worlds, and we're moving all the time, it's hard sometimes to hear. And also with our processed foods, which don't give us really good signals of, of whether to be full or hungry, it's kind of hijacking our well, system. Well, they're, they're also engineered to be as hyperpalatable as possible. So mm-hmm. you you have food companies who are designing foods that are as compelling for us to eat as humanly possible. Food right. companies have quarter million dollar fMRI machines in, in their labs to design foods that, that trigger the reward behaviors in the brain to the greatest extent possible. We don't even realize how our brain is basically pre-programmed for foods that are hyper-palatable for us. Rob Wolf wrote about this mm-hmm. in his book, Wired to Eat. And that's what the average Joe is up against. They're up against company, for-profit company that understands your brain sensors and how they respond to different things. And, and stuff is engineered for us to be as hyper-palatable as possible. So what you're saying with interoception now, if I'm trying to see where you're going, is, is now your body has a way to give you the feedback. Yes. So your body will tell you what it needs in terms of how to manage or at least give you the numbers that you can use now to make the decisions. 
Definitely. And I think with the sugar or the, the food hijacking hyperpalatal example, like two fun things. One, in some studies, if you give mice the option of having intravenous cocaine versus oral sucrose, they will choose the sucrose almost invariably over the cocaine. Oh, that's so that's one, one fun thing to know. <laughs> A little fun uh, fact for you there, friends. <laughs> fun fact. So in terms of reward circuitry, it's, it's absolutely... And this even happens in mice who are already addicted to cocaine. So need like oh a Oh my gosh. <laughs> so it's they'll fascinating. take the donut. <laughs> they'll, take the, they'll take the donut. Yeah. So our cards are stacked against us. Yeah. And, and then of course, you know, the digital world, it's a very similar culture of trying to make experiences. Hyper stimulus. And so, so the nice thing about having a bit of a biofeedback tool is to be able to say, you can start linking your post-meal slump or your late afternoon anxiety with these spikes. And then you then are able to pair that as well with sort of your subjective experience of how you're feeling. And I think over time, you develop what I would call sort of metabolic intuition. And you sort of, I think at this point for someone who's used seniors glucose monitors for months, I feel like I can predict my glucose in my body to probably within five to 10 points at all times because I know now- what it yeah. feels like. Yeah. So, so I'm excited about the ability of these tech enabled solutions to actually get people to listen more to the internal cues of their body. It's like going deep into tech to actually get back to very simple roots. Well, so, I'll bring up one more point on that, Casey, which was the study out of Israel where they rigged up 800 people with CGMs and delivered every single meal to them throughout the course of this study. And they actually found that even two people who were on the exact same meal plan had very opposite glycemic responses to the exact same foods. So even if people are saying, well, I just count my carbs, and so I know pretty much how my blood sugar should be, that doesn't bear out to be true either. And actually, they found the number one influencer of of your glycemic response was your microbiome. Yes. And they analyzed everything, step, sleep quality, physical activity, genetics, and they're like, it's the composition of the microbiome. So even if you think you know how your body's responding, you probably don't. I know. That's just, it's just another reason why this is so incredibly empowering for everybody. If everyone can figure this out and just get the feedback to make the course corrections, whether you're trying to get rid of the love handles or you're working on some other metabolic disorder. I think, you know, for me personally, Casey, my, just genetically speaking, I have to keep a really tight control on my blood sugar just to keep my weight off, no matter how much I exercise. Mm. And so it's something for me that's a lifelong weight management tool. Mm -hmm. That's what the CGM is for me personally, or before that, just taking blood sugar measurements. For me, it was just a 24-7 tool to help me with, with weight loss. So there's so many reasons why. This data mm-hmm. is empowering. Yeah, I think the point about the the biochemical individuality with response to carbs is such a huge one. And I think even to most clinicians, probably still kind of a black box and unknown. And I the paper that that you're talking about out of the Weissman Institute, Aaron Segal, you know, for anyone listening, personalized nutrition by prediction of glycemic responses. This paper was in Cell in 2015. And it's like it really is the foundation of why we're doing what we're doing at levels because awesome like you said, two people can respond equal and opposite to the exact same food. So you and I could each eat a banana and I could go up five points and you could go up a hundred points and then we could eat the same cookie and I could go up a hundred points and you go up five points. So, you know, obviously based on what we've talked. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And, 
there are so many factors involved, microbiome and, you know, age, body composition, age. genetics, everything yep. goes into it. So like the only way for you to dial yourself in is really to have this, this personalized feedback. Yes. And I think, you know, the keto movement right now and the low carb movement, like I think you're seeing great results in terms of people getting lower, flatter glucose curves. And I think there's certainly something to that, that like, obviously if you only take five to 10% of your calories per day from, from carbohydrates, you don't even have the substrate in your body. So you're, you're going to be starting to build those other pathways for using energy. And so you start tapping into your fat, which is more your long-term storage and start making ketones for energy, which the body can also use for cellular energy. And so, so that makes sense. If you're not putting the substrate in the body, you're going to use a different one. You have to. And the body luckily has these like very interesting redundant pathways, you know, producing ketones versus processing glucose to create cellular energy. So the thing though is, is that not everyone wants to do a ketogenic diet. A ketogenic diet might not be good for everybody. And the reality is, is that with some close nuanced understanding of how specific carbohydrates affect you, I feel that you actually can have quite a high carbohydrate diet and not necessarily have high glucose exposure in your blood. And I, Well, I'm that's kinda... the next level, I think. And that's what this can help facilitate. I think you know, low-carb keto for many was just a godsend because we finally had the information and knowledge to do something. But like you said, it, it's also possible to have an extremely healthy diet with the strategic use of carbohydrates. And for a lot of people, that may be even healthier, especially from a hormonal level, and especially for people doing heavy training. Mm -hmm. So this can help you even, even get to a more balanced way of eating. Definitely. Yeah. And I think I'm kind of the perfect example of this because I'm vegan and I'm very high carb, mm -hmm. but because of using CGM, you know, my fasting glucose is in the low seventies. My average 24 hour glucose is like 75. Damn, mostly. that's impressive. And my triglycerides are 47. And so, yeah, wow. it's, but I eat probably 100 to 150 grams of carbohydrates a day. But over the past year, I've essentially eliminated anything that's going to be a massive spiker for me. And then now the idea of, for example, the idea of eating fruit now without being covered in fat and fiber. So it usually nut butter plus chia seeds all over it. I just like don't even ever think about eating fruit without that combo. Well, because look, that's a really important example. Can we pause on that one for sure. a second? So like a piece of fruit that would normally be a very high glycemic piece of fruit, banana, for example. Mm -hmm. So through your own self-experimentation with the CGM, and, and I'm paraphrasing here, but you found that if you are able to modify it slightly with some high quality fat, and some of the seeds, for example, you can turn that into a meta, what was once a metabolically, I unfriendly. guess, unfriendly, just use that. <laughs> unfriendly food. You've taken something that you enjoy and made it metabolically friendly and have gotten the biofeedback to cheat you that that works. Is, mm -hmm. is that correct? It's exactly right. That's totally yeah. awesome. I love that. Yeah. And I post about this pretty much constantly on social media, like showing examples of just gigantic salads and brown rice sushi and exactly how for my body, I have to modulate it to essentially get a flat glucose line. That's so, incredible. Yeah. yeah. But it takes time. 
but this is the whole journey of, of metabolic awareness. And I actually think, and this is just, again, my personal, totally anecdotal story is that as I, over time, started eliminating those spikes, I think I became a lot more insulin sensitive. And so- Totally, yep. And I think it takes a couple of years. That's, that's kind of like what the Verda data is showing out. It's like for full reversal of metabolic insulin resistance, full restoration of insulin sensitivity, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight, but I think you can make huge gains in months. You know, I think, I think okay. that you can. And that's where like, really our software, we're, what we're trying to do and what, we're, what we've built is to help people take this raw data stream that comes from this device and turn it into actionable insights. So like telling people like, this is not a good option for you. This is a good option. This is a good pairing for you so that it can become a quicker process. But Some but intelligence think, built in to mm-hmm. the system. Cool. So my hope is that, yeah, is that everyone would be able to, at some point in their life, use this technology and be able to essentially create their personalized diet and their personalized glycemic index, their personal metabolic toolbox that they can then work on what we would call, and I, this term I love, which is building metabolic fitness. So just like we work out every day, just like we ate sleep, coined the term sleep fitness, these are things that you have to work on. And these are biologic pathways that you have to get stronger. You have to do reps of keeping the glucose spikes down to actually get the payoff. It's not a one-time thing. And so, so having a tool to help you build the fitness in regards to athletics, to food, to sleep is very, very important, but it's achievable. And that's what's really exciting is that it is, it is modifiable. And we, we all have the power to move in the right direction on that spectrum. and build. Yeah, my story is exactly the same, Dr. Casey. When I came off standard American diet, and this is over the last few years, I noticed that the first six, 12 months, I could get the refined carbohydrates and sugars out of my diet. But as soon as I introduced them, even just a little bit, it would set me back. And it it was like going to the gym. I just didn't have the muscle memory. And it would take me like another two weeks just to like, okay, really get back on track, get them back out and get back onto a really clean, clean eating template. And I was on this like uh, roller coaster up, down, up, down. And, and it took time. Like you, you just said it, it took time and practice. And now I'm at the point where I have complete 100% ability to flex into eating something that is very high in carbohydrate and wake up the next morning without even skipping a beat Mm. and get back onto the really clean template that I like to stay on. But it took a lot of work and it took Mm -hmm. reps and it took a lot of commitment and a lot of sticking my finger with test strips (laughs) to get it. And even that, I was only really doing it once in the morning before I went out the door to work. And then I didn't have that feedback until the next morning. So it does take time. It does take reps. Having this feedback is incredible. Presumably having a coach on the other end who can help and provide information so we're not figuring it out for ourselves can be super helpful. So yeah, I'm just agreeing with you basically that there's a, a component of reps and exercise to this before it gets really natural and intuitive. Totally. Yeah. And and I think you alluded to the the word flexibility, which I think is also an important concept that I don't think has really made the zeitgeist of healthcare yet, which is the concept of like metabolic flexibility, which is this idea that, so traditionally standard American diet, we basically, I think our bodies by and large only knew how to process glucose because we were giving it mostly glucose and the insulin was always high and we weren't burning fat. And so 
then you get to a point where you don't have glucose. Like let's say you haven't eaten for a few hours and that's when people get kind of like panicky and super hungry and like irritable because that's the time when the body should be able to flip on the switch to be able to burn fat and get energy another way. But because you haven't worked those pathways of fat burning. They're all rusty. Ever. Dust, dust in those pathways. We've never used them. Dusty. We've probably never used them since we were born for a lot right. of us. You know, we're giving kids now, you know, at six months, like processed rice puffs. And so, like, yeah. we're just, the insulin is just spiking all the time. And so, I love what you just said, like they're rusty. And so, you start building up those pathways by reducing your spikes, by maybe doing a little bit more time restricted feeding. And yeah. all of a sudden, you start working that fat pathway a little bit. And now, you are all of a sudden flexible. When you have glucose on board, you can process it because you're more insulin sensitive. And when you don't have the insulin or glucose on board, you can tap into your fat and burn it. And this is becoming really important for a lot of athletes. And athletes don't want to be constricted by having to eat food all the time during endurance training. And so what if an athlete could train in a low carb, low insulin state, get really good at processing fat for an endurance workout. And then on a game day, maybe have a bunch of carbs and get that really quick energy. But when those run out, they're able to just flip the switch right into fat burning and not be relying on pounding gels or protein shakes the whole time and not having to get these constant insulin surges throughout their workout that are going to kind of have them on an energetic roller coaster. So there's a lot of athletes going towards the low carb training or the concept of carb cycling, which is training in a low carb state and then maybe using carbs really advantageously during performance events. And there's a really awesome blog post on um, Jeff Wu, who runs HVMN Human blog. It's a really great, really science-based article on carb cycling. And I love it. It explains it really well. But So the opportunities for performance here is awesome. But also just people who are quote-unquote metabolically flexible tend to just be healthier overall when you look at long-term outcome. So we want to be able to flip those switches. And it makes sense from an evolutionary standpoint, because we didn't always have access to carbs and to food, and we needed to be able to rely on our fat stores. And so that's advantageous to health. So yeah, that awareness that is building that we have these two different ways of managing our metabolism, and getting to the point where you can effortlessly switch between the two, it takes work. But like you said, it's the key to longevity, it's the key to sustainable health, sustainable wellness, prevention of a lot of the common ailments that we're all dealing with day to day. So I want to just in closing here, say thank you to you guys for bringing this technology to market and making it more accessible. You know, we're on episode 50 something here and we've been doing the show for years. And over the course of those years, I've been saying that we need continuous glucose monitoring available to the general public. And for a long time, I would say that Even with all the work we do, I would say that that's the number one thing that we can do to have the biggest impact on health outcomes in this country. And here we are, August 14th, 2020, and I'm talking to the founder of a company that that has this mission. So it's just incredible. We're really excited at Heads Up to be partnering with you guys. This is really just kind of the beginning. So congrats, and I hope you guys have a wonderfully successful journey levels health. Thank you. We are so grateful to talk about this with you on the podcast and also just be connected with you guys as a company. I think that the integration of different data streams on that higher level, which is something that I know that you guys are working on, 
that we didn't even touch on that in this episode, but the power of how those can then start to talk to each other to get it to the next level, I think is huge. How these data streams together can even catalyze more insights. Yeah. Thank you so much for your kind words. And I, I feel exactly the same way about what you guys are doing in terms of building these higher level data integration platforms. So yeah, really wonderful to be connected. And thanks so much for, for having me on. Just in closing here, Dr. Casey, so we've mentioned the website here, of course, but for individuals who are listening, practitioners who are listening, any other tidbits you want to pass on about the company and and how they should get in touch with you guys and just anything else for those who want to integrate continuous glucose monitoring into their functional medicine practice. We're having tons of those conversations now. That seems to be coming very top of mind, very mainstream. So for the people who are out there listening and and want to take the next step, aside from just going to the website, anything else that they should know about? Yes. Thank you. So come check out levelshealth.com. And then I would highly recommend going to www.levelshealth.com slash blog. We are writing voraciously about the future of healthcare, about what we think needs to happen for people to just feel well at scale. And I'm writing a lot of those articles along with just an amazing team of thought leaders who are contributing to the blog. So yeah, it's definitely not fluff. A lot of really great research-based articles there. So definitely encourage practitioners and anyone to go check it out. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Unlock Levels. So just one word, Unlock Levels. And then for me, if you're interested in some of the plant-based, metabolic-friendly content, um, I post a lot about that on my Instagram and Twitter, which is Dr. Casey's Kitchen, Dr. Casey's Kitchen. Yeah, we'll link to everything. But that's incredible, like being on a... um vegan diet and being plant-based and being carbohydrate-based and still maintaining those absolutely phenomenal glucose levels. So we'll definitely say that one more time. You're the, <laughs> Dr. The, Casey's Kitchen. Dr. Casey's Kitchen. Awesome. Yeah. So look forward to connecting. And like I mentioned, we're in our closed beta program. So sign up for the wait list and we will be in touch with you. And when you sign up for the wait list, we'll also start sending you our newsletter, which has really great information. Our mission is to empower and educate people to take control of their own health and live their best lives. And so all of our content and stuff we're putting out is trying to just support that effort. So yeah, we're here to learn with everyone and and share good information. So, Well, we are mission aligned on that one then, Dr. Casey. Thank you for your time. And uh, I think this is the beginning of a great partnership between our companies. You've shared some absolutely awesome information a lot of really technical stuff presented in some really, really accessible ways. And then you came along and provided the technology solution that complements it all. And really just, man, it's been such a black box for people to know what the heck is happening with their blood sugar. And there's so many people suffering. So you guys are going to crush it. And uh, look forward to uh, connecting with you guys again soon. Thank you. Thanks, David. Thank you for listening to Data Driven Health Radio. 